You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Man, with the sauce at the end, okay. So we're working our way through the Ten Commandments. We have a book that complements our series, so hopefully you've gotten your hands on that and you're reading along as we have mentioned most of the weeks in this series. If you're not reading along in the book, you are missing out on some content and potentially even some of this stuff is confusing if you're just hearing the sermons. And so if you don't have one of those books, please do grab one and begin to read along and follow along with us. Our goal for the series is we're looking at how we come about the idea of morality. Why do we have this sense that some things are right and other things are wrong, and yet other people in other places and other times might disagree with us, and they sense that different things are right and different things are wrong, and how and in what ways might our modern American sensibilities about right and wrong differ from God's sensibilities. And so we talked for a few weeks about the Ten Commandments as a whole, as a group, and the ways in which we come about or construct our sense of morality. And then we've been working through the list of the Ten Commandments. And as you've seen, today we find ourselves on honor your father and your mother. So if you want to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And we'll read this particular commandment. It says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord God, as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And all the parents in the room said yes and amen. Praise the Lord in his infinite wisdom. I do think that there is a good bit for us to discuss here. Some questions like, uh, how does this look as we get older, as we age and as our parents age? How does this look when relationship with parents as adults is complicated? What about parents who are horrible? And I don't use that word lightly. What about parents who are horrible? What do we do with that? How do we think through all of that? And then underneath all of it, I actually want to get to uh, the idea of authority in general. This is one of the, of, the, of the Ten Commandments that deals with the category of authority. And so I want to talk about that a little bit as well. So let's start off and let's just work through the language here and break it down and make sure we actually know what it means and what it doesn't mean. Because depending on what you think this command is calling you to do, you might agree or disagree with it, as you heard people referencing even in the video. So let's just work back through it and talk about it, break it down just a little bit. So first, it says to honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you. So the first question has to be, what exactly does honor mean? So it's the Hebrew word kabod or kabod. It's an interesting word. It's translated honor here, but it can be used a little bit differently. The word literally means to be heavy or to make heavy. It's used elsewhere in the Bible in context where it might say something like an old man's eyes grow heavy with age or a person having a heavy workload. Then in a positive sense, it's used to describe the concept of glory or honor and literally can mean to give weight. 
to give weight. It's weighty. So, it's, so the, the command to honor is to approach your father and mother in a way that appropriately honors the weight that they've carried for you. Put a, put a heaviness on the role that they have played in your life. It's the idea of honor. So I don't know uh, what your relationship is with animals, but if you've ever seen a baby calf be born, I've had the distinct privilege of watching this horrible event transpire. And at first, it's like a bony alien is breaking out. It's just, I don't even think there are words. And then the wildest thing happens. This baby calf is birthed, and then it just stands up and starts walking around. So unlike many mammals, human beings require an incredibly long ramp before we are self-sufficient, able to take care of ourselves. It takes over a decade to produce a functional human being who can survive on his or her own. The workload for a parent is extreme. It's extreme. Human beings are helpless, absolutely helpless, for an extremely long amount of time, comparatively speaking. We can't fend for ourselves, walk, protect ourselves. It's an incredibly long runway. And those of us who are parents in the room know this very much firsthand. And so God says, give weight to your father and your mother. Honor them. Have the right attitude and response to the road that they've walked to feed you, protect you, clothe you. So reformer John Calvin, in teaching on this passage, he gives three clarifiers for this idea of honor. I think they're helpful. What it means to give weight to our parents. He says it's, it's compar- uh, it makes up three separate words, reverence, obedience, and gratitude. So reverence, this is the, a good word, I think, for the concept of, of giving weight to someone. If you, if you revere someone, right? Think of maybe a, a celebrity or a, a famous athlete. There's almost this sense in which they're glorious to us. And obviously our parents are probably not NFL players or you know, the, the president. But we approach them with this posture of, of reverence. It doesn't mean they're in affection and warmth. There should be. But there also should be a clear understanding of who holds the position of authority and who defers respectfully. So blatant disrespect is just not an option if we revere and give reverence. It means obedience, which is exactly what you think it means. If you've served, for example, in the armed forces, then you know If a person in authority over you gives a command, you do it. You don't talk back. You don't decide if you're convinced or persuaded by their argument. And if you don't do what they've said, then you've not understood the role that they play in your life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 pulls and says this explicitly. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in the land, that that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So of course, the role of obedience does change as a child ages. It's different from a three-year-old to a 13-year-old to a 30-year-old as we mature, grow into independence. There's a very clear biblical pattern of leaving and cleaving, starting a new independent adult life or family. So this is not to say that adult children are required to obey their parents in the way that a young child might. So just so that I'm clear, for those of you with adult children, 
Your application is not to call them after this and say, my pastor said you have to obey me, now go clean your room. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But there is still this call, especially for those who are, who are young, that a child will learn to obey healthy authority while residing in their parents' home so that they become a certain kind of adult when they leave. Obedience. And then lastly, gratitude. Gratitude just makes note of the tremendous amount of resources, time, energy, blood, sweat, tears that goes in to parenting. It gives weight to those sacrifices. And any parent of a toddler toddler can tell you, if kids only knew how much we do to protect them and sustain them, they would have an enormous amount of gratitude. I've literally saved my children's lives more times than I can count. Like literally saved. I don't know what the definition of a superhero is, but if it involves saving lives, then parents need capes. So this awareness should grow as a child matures and probably sets in the most if you, if you actually have children for your own because then you realize how much your parents actually did for you. So this is the idea of honor. It's reverence, it's obedience, particularly while young, living in the house, and it's gratitude. So here's a big question. What about people who have horribly sinful, maybe even abusive parents? So here's what I'll say to this, and I actually want to handle it quickly. We have a call throughout Scripture to honor and obey authority, but Acts chapter 5 does give a compelling picture of what should happen if an authority over us commands us to do something that's sinful or wrong. So in Acts chapter 5, the, Jew, the Jewish rulers call Peter and the other apostles before him, and they command them to stop preaching the gospel. That's what they say to him. And Peter responds by saying, quote, we must obey God rather than men. That's what he says. So uh, author and pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote a book on the Ten Commandments, and I think he's helpful here. Here's what he says. Quote, are there limits to honoring parents? In a word, yes. Authority can be abused. In Acts chapter 5, we see a principle that has to do with government, but also with parents, church leadership, and any other authority over us. If the choice is between obeying God or obeying men, we obey God. So if your parents command you to do what God forbids or forbid what God commands, you cannot and must not obey your parents. But even in those hopefully rare cases, there is still a way to be respectful and honor your parents, even if they're asking something of you that they don't have the authority to ask. So I want to keep our primary focus on regular parents who are regular sinners who did their best because that's most parents. But I do know that some of us in the room have suffered not the garden variety sins of their parents, but severe sins committed against them from their parents. And it is not okay. It's not to be swept under any rug. God himself will judge it. And to be honest, I, I cannot imagine how difficult and complicated that must make this path for you. So I just want to acknowledge it and say that I understand that the command to honor your parents could be particularly difficult and challenging, but the call does still remain to honor them. And you're going to need a lot of wisdom on how to do that, a lot of nuance, a lot of Holy Spirit help, a lot of community help. But for today, I do want to just continue to focus on regular parents who are regular sinners who are doing their best, which I would like to think is at least most of us in the room and the types of parents that most of us have. So that's the idea of honor. 
Let's keep working through the passage before we get to any sort of applications. Continuing in Deuteronomy, he says, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So I, when I was growing up, I always thought this meant if I obey my parents right, I get to be 100. I get to live to be 100. So, but in Ephesians chapter 6, which we just read, when Paul quotes this commandment, he states that the first, he says it's the first command with a promise, but Paul there doesn't actually quote the that your days may be long part. He quotes the part that says that it may go well with you in the land that, your Lord, your, that the Lord your God is giving you, that it may go well with you. So remember, these commands are given to Israel after they're rescued from slavery to Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. And God says that a, a deferential respect and an honoring of parental authority is going to be a key deciding factor on whether or not things go well in the land when they get there, and they get to stay there for a really, really long time. Or if they don't show honor and give weight to parental authority, things are not going to go well when they get there. So this is actually God having a bigger view for his people than just if kids say, yes, sir, or no, ma'am, or whether or not they obey the first time or the 20th time. He's got a vision in mind for the good and flourishing of the entire community. And he says it literally in part will depend on whether or not they can learn to honor and respect rightful authority over them. He wants them to stay in the promised land, to thrive, to flourish. But he knows that part of that is they're going to need to learn to give weight to those above them. Okay, as I've already mentioned, this is one of the, of the commandments that derives most of its sense of rightness or wrongness from the authority category. We laid this out in week two of our series, and it's in the book as well. Here's how we've described that the moral foundation of authority. This is the idea that something is right or wrong based on a respect for those who are in legitimate authority over us. So whether that be God or a parent or a boss or a government, this is, it's right because that person is legitimately authority over us, so we should respect them and defer to them. It's wrong to disrespect or disobey those who are in legitimate authority over us. So the greatest sin in this category is that of disrespect, disobedience, dishonor. And as we said, unless you're in maybe a certain subgroup of our culture, maybe you're in the military, there are certain ethnic groups that prioritize this category. Most of us as modern Americans do not prioritize this category. The argument that we made, in fact, was that we're very sensitive to something being wrong if it hurts someone else. But we're not as sensitive to something being wrong if it's a disrespect or dishonoring or disobedience of an authority over us. So what I want to do is, is at least show a little bit of the connection that God makes between learning to respect and honor authority and what he says about, quote, things going well in the land. And I'm just going to, I'm going to show you my cards that I'm a little bit concerned for us because of just the cultural moment that we're in that we might not value enough the moral concern of respecting authority. So I've brought for you a small chart because I know how you love charts. Let me show you two equal and opposite errors that we could have when it comes to authority. You can fire that slide. So it's possible that we could err on the side of having an abuse of authority. This is bad. 
I believe you already know that it's bad. I do not feel the need to convince you that abuse of authority is bad. Most of you are listening to podcasts that highlight the abuse of authority, and you love hearing those stories. There's an equal and opposite concern that would be a devaluing of authority. And what we're looking for is what Aristotle actually called the golden mean. It's just a fancy way of saying a middle ground between two extremes. So what can happen is if there are two extremes, but culturally speaking, we're very sensitive to one and not the other, it's just human nature to want to back away from the one that we're aware of. And if we're not careful, we can back right into the extreme that we weren't aware of or weren't that sensitive to. And this is not to equate them as equally problematic. That's not the argument that I'm making. I'm just saying both of them are, in fact, problems. And that culturally speaking, we're rightly very concerned about the abuse of authority. We see the dangers of it fairly well. We're probably not as aware of or concerned about the issue of devaluing authority. I'll give you a small example of how it just doesn't trigger anything in us. I mentioned this in the midweek podcast uh, a few weeks ago. So a friend of mine was out somewhere. He saw a mom. She was wearing a shirt that said, raise them kind. It's a great shirt. It's a great shirt. I agree. I believe that we should raise our children to be kind. I would argue we do not have enough kindness in the world, that we need more of it. I have no concerns about that shirt. And good for you, mother, for supporting a good cause with your t-shirts. I'm in. Raise them kind. Imagine for a second if you were somewhere and you saw a mom wearing the exact same shirt, except it said, raise them respectful of authority. Would you not have some concerns about this mother? And at bare minimum, that would strike us as odd. What is, what is she doing? What is her agenda? I don't understand why she felt the need to support that cause. It certainly wouldn't trigger the same affirmations that the idea of raising them kind would. So we're concerned about abuses of authority, rightly, potentially not as much about devaluing of authority, and Scripture is concerned about both. Scripture confronts both misuses of authority as well as the devaluing of it because, in fact, both can do harm. And then here in the Ten Commandments, God states that an essential building block of a God-honoring community is that human beings learn at a young age to respect and value authority. The African church father Augustine said, quote, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? In other words, learning to respect and honor your neighbor actually starts by learning to respect and honor your parents. And God says if people don't, things will not go well in the land. So let's give a few applications. That's the idea of this commandment. I have three applications for us to consider. The first is that we might need to repent of the sin of despising or devaluing authority. Potentially. Not certainly, but potentially. Because culturally speaking, we don't tend to start from a place that highly esteems and puts weight on authority as necessary. This is something that we need to consider. And listen, so here's what I'd say. Authority isn't bad. Bad authority is bad. But that's not insightful. Bad things are bad. (laughs) 
But authority is good, needed, arguably. And God has established in his providential care good authority structures and systems in place for our good, especially parents. And authority is a good gift from God, meant to bless our lives and help us grow into the types of people that he's called us to be. It's meant to shape us and help us steward everything we have for his glory and purposes in the world. And yes, authority comes with great responsibility and great harm can absolutely be done when it's not stewarded well. There is a danger on the other side, though. So for example, you will never see these headlines, but we should. Imagine a headline of, child who never learned to respect authority grows up to be a man who commits heinous crimes and lands in jail. Employee who despises authority causes consistent headaches for their boss and team. Church member who shows disdain for God's authority in scripture spreads division and chaos in local church, causing some to leave the faith. They're non-headlines, but they've done a lot of damage. Let me give you, I'm going to take a chance on something, just to maybe help you see. There's, you could take this wrong. It wouldn't be the first time I've said something that people took the wrong way. I want you to pay attention and just watch how normal it is in our country for people to speak in altogether dishonoring ways about our president. And I'm not talking about who the president is, whoever he or she is. This isn't about a particular president. Don't think I'm saying something that I'm not. I'm not talking about a specific person. Just notice how normal it is for people to say wildly disrespectful things about whoever is in office. Now, I think that some of our presidents have not acted very honorably. I think some of them have done things that are quite dishonorable. But the office of the presidency is still one that should be respected. So to say or write things that are grossly inappropriate and dishonoring to the point of cussing out our presidents is actually not acceptable or respectful of the authority over us. I just saw an example the other day. I was driving and it was a bumper sticker. It was a uh, rated R bumper sticker in, uh, in AK-47s. It spelled out the F word. And then underneath it, it said Joe and the H-O. I'll let you sound that out. Hooked on phonics. Just on the, on the bumper sticker right there. So we should be respectful, even as we might feel the need to point out ways that we disagree or that we find behaviors dishonorable. Uh, if for nothing else, because we should realize the weight that they carry. Have you guys ever seen the before and after pictures of presidents and the rapid aging they experience because of the pressure and the stress and the weight that they carry? Let me show you a couple. Let me show you a couple. This is Barack Obama before, right as he entered office, and then as he left. This is George Bush. These are the last two two-term presidents. Look at the difference. Isn't it wild to divisibly see the weight that they carry? And listen, you could hate everything they stand for or love everything they stand for. I'm actually not talking about that. I just want you to see the weight that they carry because I think if you understood the weight they carried, you'd respect the office more. And this is just one example of many that I could have picked. 
that I think shows sometimes our default posture towards those in leadership roles is one of antagonism when it should be that of honor. I would uh, encourage a great first step. An application would be of 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. We should honor and pray for those who are in authority. And God, in fact, insists that learning to honor authority is essential for human flourishing, that it starts with mom and dad. Learning to love and respect mom and dad is where we learn to love and honor anyone else. So that's number one. Here's number two. Parents, we need to be a loving Authority. It's the role of parenting, a loving authority. And if we don't perceive the rightness of respecting authority, it can be crippling for parents. So let me show you uh, a chart that we've used before. We stole this from another church that we like to to learn from, some um, some mentors for us. Uh, It's fairly self-explanatory. This is what parenting ought look like, generally speaking, that when children are young, think maybe before age six, there's, all still, there's still the love and the snuggles and the bonding. But what we're doing in that time frame is we're establishing authority. We're trying to help them learn to respect our no and to learn to do things they don't want to do. They shouldn't have a lot of freedom at this stage of life. They're not mature enough for it. A four-year-old does not have the ability to determine what is a healthy nutrient dinner. So they shouldn't be telling the family what we'll be having for dinner. They shouldn't be meal planning. You know what I'm saying? And then as children get older... We want to develop responsibility so we give them a little bit more freedom. We give them some real weight to carry and let them learn things. So we let them cut the grass and do a bad job and then we coach them up. We let them do hard things and fail so they don't get arrogant or think that their parents are idiots. And then in the teenage years, it's more like adult training and we're giving more freedom. Their freedom, in fact, increases exponentially because they're entering adulthood. So now maybe they're able to drive or babysit other human beings or vote and go live on their own. And the end goal of this process is hopefully a Jesus-loving, mature, kind, disciplined adult that you would want to be friends with even if they weren't your child. I find that to be a really good goal. Jesus-loving, kind, disciplined adult that you would want to be friends with even if they weren't your child. Now, here is where it gets difficult. Parents, how challenging do you find it to establish authority in your little one's life? I assume that your kids are better than mine. I find it exhausting. It's incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. It takes near consistent, constant effort. No question. But then if you add to that, just the reality of that difficulty, if you add to that a particular culture where we're very concerned about the misuse of authority, but maybe not as concerned about devaluing authority, And now you can have parents who actually think establishing authority in their child's life is wrong for them to do. That if I make my kids do things they don't want to do, that I'm I'm doing something wrong. And then our kids react negatively, emotionally, and there can be an internal struggle where we can start to feel like we're stifling them and we're controlling them. We're not letting them be themselves or be emotionally happy in the moment. And sometimes we can start thinking that appropriate actions, things that are actually for their long-term good, are harming them because they're reacting negatively. So some parents don't establish healthy, loving authority. They give too much freedom too early. 
Children don't learn to humbly, respectfully, and immediately accept no as an answer. And then when they get older, they get to the age where they should be getting more and more freedom to go out alone, to drive, to make decisions. And then suddenly parents realize, oh no, they are not mature enough to handle this freedom. And they want to clamp down on their child's freedoms right when they should be opening them up to more freedoms. And it does not go well when you try to clamp down on a previously free reign teenager. So parents try to clamp down the freedoms and then they take them to church or therapy and they say, please fix this, not realizing the problem is 16 years old. The problem's been going on the whole time. It's not a recent issue. So very quickly, and I want to get off subject, but parents, let me give you some suggestions for how you might think through this. And I'm mostly thinking of those of us who are in that zero to six age range, but it'll apply to everybody who's a parent right now. I would suggest being very clear with your instructions and your expectations for your child. I would suggest being very clear about your feedback on how your child is doing and meeting your expectations. I would suggest giving rewards to your child when they do a good job of meeting your expectations so that they are glad that they have met your expectations. Then I would attach consequences when they do not meet your expectations so that they regret the fact that they did not meet your expectations. And this is where I, as a dad, feel a lot of creative freedom to come up with some particular consequences so that my children regret having disobeyed. I would be especially aggressive with deliberate, defiant disobedience. That's your harshest consequences are reserved for deliberate, defiant disobedience. So at my house, uh, we run laps. We just run laps. Uh, we We lose privileges. And my children are shocked to find how many things are actually privileges and not rights. We do uh, what we have come to call daddy boot camp. Daddy boot camp is a day of manual labor that often involves shoveling gravel while weeping. Because I need them to regret. And I need them to regret it now when their disobedience is probably not going to ruin their life. Because once they're 15, 16, 17, 18, that disobedience could in fact do great damage to the world and to themselves. I need regret now. And this is not always easy for me. My three-year-old is sometimes really, really cute when he's defiant. His, when he's, he's like, no, and it's adorable. And, and I really have to not laugh because I want to laugh because he doesn't realize how cute he is. And what I have to do, what I have to do is, is for real, I have to think, Okay, if he's doing this at age 15, we have a horrible situation on our hands. I need to respond accordingly. It's not adorable. It can't be not adorable. Stop smiling. Stop laughing. Like, I really do have to do that. As kids get older, feel free to say things to them like, the way that you're speaking to me is not okay right now. It's disrespectful. I'm your mother. I'm your father. Why don't you try that again, but do it respectfully? So eye-rolling, huffing and puffing, stomping off. These are not, these are not reverence, obedience, <laughs> and gratitude. These are not honor. These are not acceptable. So we address them, parents. Cool, calm, collected, poised. Our kids don't rattle us. <laughs> Theoretically speaking, our kids don't rattle us. 
I would love right now, if you could just please for this thing, could you just do what I say and not what I do? Just like one. If I get one time that's like, hey, church, why don't you just maybe ignore my life and listen to what I'm saying? I'd like to play that card right now. No, we're all trying. You get the idea? This is what we're going for. You can't control the outcomes. Parents, we don't control the outcomes. We control the inputs. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. The outcomes aren't yours, they're God's. We control the inputs, okay? We serve our kids in doing this because we help them how to, to learn how to come under legitimate authority. And that's something they're gonna need for their adult life. Uh, if a little boy never has to respect a no and he becomes a man, I don't think you have to be too creative to think of some scenarios that could be wildly horrible that might come from that. Uh, I actually heard recently a Christian family therapist who was very pointed about this. She said, talking to mothers, she said, mothers, you need especially to be consistent in the consequences you give to your sons. It is incredibly important that they learn how to respect boundaries that are set by women now. I think there's insight there. I'll drop a pearl for you. Uh, Single women, single women, you're gonna wanna jot this down. The way he treats and talks about his mother is the way he will eventually treat and talk about you. Print that, tweet that, write it down, take a picture. If he's disrespectful or dismissive of his mother, do not walk, run, run. Last application number three, we honor our parents even as we both age. It's interesting thinking about the context of the, of the Ten Commandments. You know, God's speaking to the whole community, and he's speaking primarily to adults. So it's like, he, you know, he's not giving the Ten Commandments, and then all of a sudden he's like, now let me go to Kid Town real quick. Hey, guys, you need to you know, honor your parents. He's talking to adults when he says this. There's no age limit placed on this command. He says to the entire nation, as if this were a lifelong command to uphold. How long are you supposed to give weight to your parents? As long as they're your parents. Uh, Kevin DeYoung is helpful again here. Here's what he says. Quote, in most Western countries, our problem is not a knee-jerk obedience to parents. If we were to weigh out the greater danger on the scales, the danger is not, I'm giving immediate deference to my parents, but I'm not seeing the ways in which I might need to break and establish my own identity. We have to realize that almost everything in our culture mitigates against this kind of respect. We don't have the kind of culture that says, when you get older is when you're the most wise and deserving of respect. What we have is when you get older, you should take a back seat. Youth culture equals pop culture and pop culture equals whatever 15 to 25 year olds are into. Our culture tends to not honor the generations who have gone before. So there are some cultures where as someone ages, their perceived weight in the room grows. They have more deference, more attention, more gravitas. It's as if everyone assumes they've gained something that is maybe not always, but potentially by default, very precious and worth paying attention to. In an environment like this, old people aren't put in a corner because they're not good with computers. Instead, age and the general accrual of wisdom that comes with it is honored and respected and, and in some ways even centered. And we, in our society, are almost the polar opposite of that. We tend to cater to the young, to the children, 
And there's some good in that, but there's also some real loss when we don't sufficiently honor the process of aging, especially with our own parents. So the way we obey this command as adults is to continue to give weight to our parents as we both grow older. We express gratitude. We honor the gray hairs that we have given them, the marks they bear on their body that carried us. And as the aging process inevitably happens, the person who was born helpless returns to the same state. We do whatever we possibly can to help them. We care for them as they cared for us. There's all kinds of viable ways to do that. Don't think I'm saying something that I'm not. We just make sure that they're taken care of, that they're honored and they're respected so far as we can help it. Now, I know as I say this, that it can be difficult. And that as you age and maybe get married and then you're dealing with in-laws and parents and all those family dynamics can be just headaches. And I know that parents leave wounds. Even the best parents leave wounds. You and I live in a culture that teaches us more or less to blame all our problems on our parents. I'd encourage you to resist that. I know that as you age, there can be a temptation to highlight your parents' weaknesses and pull away from them instead of praising God for some of their strengths. So I wanna say something and I hope it'll be encouraging and maybe even soften your heart a little bit if need be. Uh, Do you watch Winnie the Pooh? When I was a kid, I loved Winnie the Pooh. My kids watch it some, but they don't really love it like I did. They got more exciting things to watch. Winnie the Pooh was peak kid entertainment when I was little. But anyway, in Winnie the Pooh, there is a character named Tigger. And Tigger is a tiger who bounces on his tail. And he has, he has this catchphrase that he often uses. Tigger says, the most wonderful thing about Tigger's is I'm the only one. That's what he says. He's the only Tigger in existence, and that makes, that's the most wonderful thing about him. And what I would say to you is, the most wonderful thing about your parents is that they are your only ones. They're the ones that God gave you. When it comes to parents, they're all you got. Strengths and weaknesses, successes and failures, they are the only parents you have. And that fact alone makes them worthy of honor. And I understand it's complicated sometimes. I believe you if you tell me it's painful. I believe you. I don't understand or know your particular situation. I don't have that information. But I'm just saying, however you need to navigate it, do it while honoring your parents for as long as they are your parents. I was talking to a friend a while back, and she was really frustrated with her mom, and and rightly so. They have a very complicated relationship. Her mom has some some real issues that play out there. And uh, as we talked about how to navigate it, Winnie the Pooh came to mind. Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. And I told her what I told you. I said, the most wonderful thing about your mom is that she's your only one. And my friend looked at me and she said, are you seriously trying to help me navigate the most complicated relationship in my life by quoting Winnie the Pooh? And I was like, yeah, that wasn't my best moment, actually. (laughs) I see it now. And about a month later, my friend called and was crying a little bit. And she said, the most wonderful thing about my mom is that she's my only one. All right, let me show you something. This is a picture of my parents 
Gosh, I knew I was going to cry. Check out this hairstyle. <laughs> so that's when I was little, when my sister was little. And uh, that's them now. And I wonder how many of those gray hairs are because of me. My mom would tell you most of them. But that's part of the weight that they carried. For me, for my sister, it's what you sign up for as a parent. You give the best years of your life away to your kids. And you get gray hairs faster. That's just in the contract. And uh, I'm a dad now, so I, I know the weight that they carried for me. I get it now. They gave the best parts of themselves to us. And so I want to honor those gray hairs that I gave them. And uh, I just love, I love that we approach God and we say, God, how do we follow you? (laughs) What do we need to do to obey you? And one of the things that God says is, call your mom, tell your dad thank you, honor them. If for no other reason, then they're the only parents you've got. All right, I'm good, I'm done. So uh, just like all of the Ten Commandments, Jesus is the only one who has perfectly obeyed them. Jesus never failed to honor his Father. In fact, we're saved because Jesus honored his Father all the way up to his death. Jesus honored his Father and his days were cut short so that our days could be long in the true promised land. And because Jesus's performance stands in our place, we can take communion together today and we can just own, we can own the ways that we failed as fathers, as mothers, we can own the ways that we failed to honor our father or our mother when we get to receive the imputed righteousness of Christ so that we're forgiven and we're accepted by God in spite of our sin. And we can increasingly receive the imparted righteousness of Christ so that slowly but surely we're empowered to obey God, both as a father and us as sons and daughters. So let me pray, and we'll transition to communion and time to respond and reflect.